If Murray had supported the show, I'd be less sick of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> America's Blubbity Blah. The Blubbity Blah. Sending out good vibes. did anything you know right in the book it was that it sort of allows you to step back into 1979 and know these people and hear them in their own pattern of speaking and kind of get to know who they are okay guys welcome back to the grammar show we're going to be chatting with joseph de soma a little bit later it's a fun chat it does uh we lose him a couple times and he ends up having to call in on his phone, just bad reception. We kind of try and just talk through it so that there's no real dead air. I think you get my ketamine story in there at some point. Uh, so it's a fun, fun chat. And, of course, we've got everybody's favorite podcaster here, Graham, Hall of Famer, Dunlop, Hall of Fame narrator, and ball hockey player. What? Uh, well, not, not yet, from? but I'm predicting that you're going to be a Hall of Fame narrator. Well, it's Hall of Fame week at Audible. Oh, is it? So oh, they yeah. keep showing all these yeah. Hall of Fame narrators, and I'm like, Graham's going to be there one day. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, let's manifest that. Sure. I'm gonna send well, it, I just... When it happens, they're going to send email me, and I'm going to send them the picture of you with the, uh, when you had the bandana on with the Tupac knot in front. I don't know which picture you're talking about. It was in November's newsletter. The bandana with the Tupac knot. I don't know. What was I doing there? Was I at CAC? Was I, doing I don't know what CAC you're thing? doing. It's an orange bandana. I think someone sent it in to, for us to make our own masks with, maybe. And you decided to put it on like a Tupac where it used to wear a bandana, you know, like rolled up tight uh, with the knot in front. Yeah. And I snapped a picture of you because I tend to get the best pictures of you. That's the way I used to wear a shirt when I was traveling around the Middle East and... So that's going to be your, this will one day be your Hall of Fame narrator picture. This is what you have to look forward to. So that'll make it a little bittersweet for you. Now you can kind of semi-dread it. Unless they somehow circumvent me to get to you. But I don't see how they could do that. I'll say, hey, do you Let's have Let's manifest picture? that. I mean, that'd be great. We could do some really good books. Oh, I'm I sure mean, it's I just inevitable. just finished an 800-page theosophical book. Um, I can't even pronounce that word, so I'm sure I mean, you well. start looking at all the Mark Sloan stuff and stuff, and I bet you you're closing in on like 10,000 books. 10,000 books? Sold. That you know. Oh, sold. Oh, maybe. I wonder what, but, the, what the threshold is for the Hall of Fame. I don't know. Just don't keep know. pumping them out there, buddy. We we'll get finished. you in there. ISIS unveiled book two today. It's like, eight, I don't know, what was it, 800 pages or something? Maybe seven hundred and something. Those pages. two books were fourteen hundred. It's going to come in yeah. right, right around uh, thirty hours long, I think. Yeah, this one was bigger than the first one, but this was probably my favorite overall. It was uh, the religion one, so book two, ISIS unveiled religion, and it talks about the, you know, the, the singular, uh, origin origin of all the religions. A lot of it is about that and about magic, and a lot of the phenomena going on. That was uh, they were talking about in the 1800s. 
And uh, it's funny because this chat is a little bit about theosophy too, because uh, the book that Joseph wrote is about the disappearance of Marsha Moore called Dematerialized. And she was totally into theosophy and their family brushed up against a lot of the prominent theosophists like Olcott and um, Alice Bailey, I think. Interesting. Very interesting. So today we're, we're finished that, uh, that book, the ISIS unveiled too. Should be good. Totally. It'll be reviewed by ACX probably in a week or two. Couple more to go after that. And available for sale. And Occult World just came out too. That one, I can't remember if we mentioned that here or not, but that's out now. And yeah, sorry if we did mention it already. But, but that's getting into more details about the experiences in India with Blavatsky and AP Senate and uh, the brother, the supposed mysterious masters of like the brothers who were transmitting messages through the invisible realm and making things appear and disappear and all kinds of crazy phenomena. And the conspiracy ones coming out next? Yeah, well, yeah, I think I'll do that one next. Yeah. Proofs of a conspiracy. Yeah, we've got that one lined up. Where do we talk about that? Where did that come up? Well, that, that came was up on in this a, show. That was on a show with this show? Uh, the, the Taoist professor on Grimerica Outlawed. Oh. Because I had just read about that book in the book I was reading. Actually, it was probably, in, it was probably ISIS Unveiled, because that was from the early 1800s. They were talking about that in ISIS Unveiled. And then I also read about that book somewhere else. And uh, then he mentioned it. So in his book, he mentioned it. And then I was like, okay, well, that's obviously a sign. It was on our to-do list anyway, so that's got to be bumped up to the top. Up to the top of the yeah. list. Yeah. Speaking of top of the list, top of the things on your list ought to be to sign up for contact at the cabin. Uh, February event, there's only three spots left. There's three spots left for February. April, May is sold out. And then the June one has seven spots left, the Randall Carlson one. But that's much higher price, right? That's over. That's about three grand. You can get into the to the... The Arizona one for about a third the price of that. It's a three-day one. Brandon Powell partying down. There's only three spots left for that. So just a public service announcement for that. If you want to head over to contact at thecabin.com, get signed up for that. That's really the only event left next year with availability other than the Randall Carlson stuff, which will probably sell out soon enough as well. But uh, like I say, those ones are a little more expensive. Uh, so head over to contact at thecavin.com, check that out, get on that Arizona trip. Of course, you don't have to pay the whole thing today. You can just do a deposit, make payments. Mind you, you're going to have to pay the whole thing right away anyway. Um, we'll probably be looking for payment on that stuff uh, start of January. So, yeah, something else to think about if you want to get in with uh, for a trip, and that's going to be one of the good ones, starting out the new year with some new tools for a new you. I kind of got an email already about that, actually. Should I play a jingle or no? Sure, yeah, yeah. Sure. What, what kind of jingle would I play? Uh, Just, synchro. Uh, synchro? If you want. Yeah, sure. If I want. All right, let's yeah, do... Or uh, just a, you know, spam gram one too would work. Spam gram. Send me your emails, gram at gramerica.com. I'm a rambling gram with synchronicities all over the web. And Aaron is skeptical about everyone And don't believe it yet <laughs> What an awesome jingle <laughs> And don't believe it yet <laughs> So this is titled uh, Self-Created Support Synchro So it's kind of got a little bit to do about all this stuff So the last two years have been a journey for me It says, hi Graham 
um, expressing my free will and following new lines of information. I've begun to think and not drift. And Darren will get that reference to Napoleon Hill's Outwitting the Devil. I don't get it. Right? Gray America has become a pillar of support and information. While Graham Hancock led me to realizing we are a species with amnesia and the snake bros are doing the work to expose ancient history, Gray America exposes the esoteric duality as that is the mortar between lost knowledge and current realities. The single biggest turning point was being introduced to the book Outwitting the Devil. <laughs> pew, pew. There you go. Thank you, Owen Hunt and Gray America. So Owen Hunt is is going to be at our February event that Darren was just talking about. That's right. Yes. I just Next. talked to him the other day. He's fucking stoked. Yeah, that's great. Next was a guest mentioning the law of one. Set the alien stuff aside for later discussion and find the seed of truth. For me, it was embracing service to others as we are all one and connected. I now look at life as positive or negative, not good or bad. I've been able to recognize fear and have become allergic to it. If the message contains fear, it's negative. Just drop it and walk away. That has opened the door to positive happiness for me and my family. And what started as a journey seeking facts and truth has morphed into something spiritual on the most radical of timelines. So I need to thank you and Darren and pay up. <laughs> I previously promised to send treasure as my time is taken up with my talents which I prefer to share. While I signed up for your Rockfin when you launched it, it didn't continue. I didn't continue. Then I missed a synchronistic opportunity to support you when you went full-time. I apologize for that as I was hoping to send a bigger chunk and I didn't follow through, ignoring three nudges from the universe. This morning, my wife and I decided to cut alcohol out of our lives. And while lying in bed, I read your newsletter, applying the techniques for manifesting mentioned there with a little Napoleon Hill added in. And we agreed to set our goals. When I saw the empty case of beer on my counter, it hit me. If I sent my beer money to Grimerica, I can support you guys and work towards my goal of sobriety. So I finally signed up for the monthly on both Grimerica and Outlawed. It's a small token for sure, but I would recommend to all listeners, don't hold off on a big donation. Just send today's beer money. Immediately after smashing that PayPal button, a sale came through my shop paying me back tenfold. It's the many little synchros that lead the way. If I was D-Ron, I'd give this a three. But since it finally led me to donate, maybe an 11? Someday our cross will pass more definitely. Until then, I'm grateful to be a part of this strange tribe. Yours truly, Brian Schenk, a.k.a. Captain Bazer of the Uinta Basin Snake Force. By the way, I run a one-man wood shop. If you have any ideas for a wooden sign or need anything unique, let me know. Currently, I've been making custom archery bow racks, and I'm maxed out due to the no agenda sending so much job karma around. And he's got a link here, uh, hillcreekwoodshop.com. Oh, uh, yeah, shank is pronounced like prison shank. Don't let Darren give you shit. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to link to this uh, in the show notes. It's uh, hillcreekwoodshop.com. I should get a bow rack. I got a couple bows. There you go. I could use a gun rack. There you go. <laughs> now about to have but a gun don't, rack. Don't yeah. use yeah. Don't you, use have to be locked up. <laughs> I could just put trigger locks on them. Or I could maybe just take the uh, firing pins or the hammers out or something. So thanks for the email and for your support and good luck on your sobriety. Stick with it. Honestly, it will become 
probably one of the best decisions you've ever made. If you can stick with it, you will not totally. miss it. I, uh, I'm pretty sober most of the time. If you don't count the weed, which I don't. So it's great. Uh, what else you got? I got us. I got another email about, about uh, our last Grimerica outlawed episode. If you want me to, can I read it on here? It's about New Brunswick. It's about sort of it's happening. About COVID crap. Uh, a little bit. Is that okay? Sure. Hi, Graham. I signed up for a plus a month or so ago, and I'm really enjoying it. The guests are very interesting. So he's talking about Grimerica Outlawed. It's like the second half is uh, subscriber only. We've had a bunch of great shows over there. We got one with the Dallas professor coming out about uh, School World Order. It's a pretty mind-blowing book and episode. And this one he's talking about is from Stephen Briggs. Uh, he's from Ontario. We talked about his his uh, journey writing these books about uh, a, a family of killers. The uh, what's that called again? When you do your bio, your, not your bio, but memoirs of an assassin. Yeah. So on Grimerica Outlawed, your guest Stephen Briggs. This is Grimerica Outlawed fifty nine. Was talking about New Brunswick. I'm from NB, but have been living in QC, which is Quebec, for a couple of decades. He painted a very rosy picture. That was mostly true, but only temporarily. Early on in the pandemic, NB closed the border. This kept me from visiting my parents for Christmas 2020. And it wasn't until August 2021 that they dropped all the restrictions and I was finally able to visit them. While masks were not required, there were still a few people wearing them in stores, including my father. Your guest made it sound like no one was wearing a mask, but this wasn't the case. I felt a bit strange the first time I walked into a store in NB without one. Masks are required in all stores in QC, so I'm used to having to wear one. However, it lasted only about 30 seconds until I saw other people in the store without masks, and I wasn't the only one. So the good times didn't last long. Case numbers started rising, and the government panicked. They announced that they were going to require visitors to be vaccinated or pre-register and then isolate for 14 days. I was back in Laval when I had heard this and decided I better return back to MB for one last visit as it looked like it would be impossible to visit at Thanksgiving and probably Christmas too. I suspect that NB had very low case numbers before opening the border because they weren't promoting tests and people weren't test obsessed. I think that this has changed since opening the border. And I heard from my mother that the health expert in NS, which is Nova Scotia, is constantly telling people to get tested. I just listened to a press conference on Friday with the NB chief medical officer and the NB minister of health, and they stated that those rules are still in effect, plus unvaccinated people also need to get tested on day 10, in spite of already being in quarantine. They also said that they would not be checking at the border. They had stopped everyone at the border roadblocks up until August 2021. Huh. I totally agree with your comments about Canada on the latest Union of the Unwanted. You're doing a great job representing Canada on the show. So this is, uh, when was this one? Do you know? Last last Monday, I think. I can't believe how fast this week has gone. Oh, it's I it's don't been know. crazy. It's, there was a Union of the Unwanted on, on Monday. I'm sort of, me and actually Dave Zed was there too from Canada. There's a couple token Canadians on the show, but um it's so different talking to those people in the States. You know, it's so different down there than what's happening up here. So I try to represent Grimerica. <clears throat> there are very few people that I know 
who are against the mandates. The company I work for just required us to register our vaccine status in the HR system. I chose the I'd rather not say option, although it said I would be treated the same as unvaccinated. Everyone in from my office has been working from home since March 2020. And they even announced that the physical office was to be shut down at the end of June 2021. Everybody was going to work from home. So it's really comforting to hear the reports from Alberta and Darren, from Darren and you. And I'm glad that I'm not alone in this mess. Keep up the great work. Scott. Thanks, Scotty. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. Hope you get to see your family in NB this Christmas. I don't know. Hope so. I'm kind of stuck away from mine, but I'll, we'll see. Hopefully my, you know, my girlfriend's family or maybe not actually, hopefully maybe not. Maybe we just get to spend a nice little Christmas on our own. <laughs> there you go. I don't know what I'm going to do for Christmas yet. I'm deciding. I mean, I'm, I don't know. I'm probably going to have family and we'll see. I got to find out like, if they're vaccinated or not. Like my mom was saying, it's like, she's like, it's just another day. It goes by fast and it's just, you know, so she understands. Understands what? That you're not going to see her? Yeah. Why not? Because got other plans. Not really. <laughs> I'm not going to drive all the way. I can't. I'm not going to drive all the way. They're kind of falling through. And stuff, so. You guys just meet halfway. Well, actually, that's weird that you said that. I just talked. My sister just called today talk, saying we should do that. Just get a sweet little Airbnb someplace. Revelstoke or something. Ski Hill or something. Revelstoke and the yeah. Ski Hill or something. Yeah. yeah. There you go. But the Coca-Cola is still shut down, so that means all the trucks are going to Hope Princeton. This is the BC road, so it's still a bit of a disaster in BC, I think. Not for you, you know, though. <laughs> yeah. It'll be smooth sailing. I think, didn't they just open the highway back up? Isn't the number one open again? Uh, maybe, but not not further down to the coast. But for you, I mean, like oh, you don't have know. to go through Revelstoke anymore? Yeah, or, I'm do not you? sure. Yeah. Or not Revelstoke, sorry. Golden? Uh, Radium. Radium, Radium Hot Springs. <laughs> All right. Were you in the middle of an email still? No, I'm done. You're done? Yeah, I'm done. Oh, boy. Yeah, I got, I got, a, I got a project operation, though, if you no, want to No, 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 we'll do this. Okay. Get oh, out boy. a pen and paper and write this down. Or a pencil. Why don't you send some physical mail to the Grimerica Show? At P.O. Box 16033, next line, uh-huh, 100-815, 17th Avenue, SW, next line, uh-huh, Calgary, Alberta, next line, uh-huh, Canada, next line, uh-huh, T2T, space, 5H7, that's the P.O. Box. Why don't you send Darren some dirty socks, cause he's got a dirty sock fetish, uh-huh. Why don't you send Graham some gold bowling, cause he's got a gold Darren and Graham sending these hats the day before Thanksgiving on 11-17-21 at mark two and a half years I've been a show supporter. The Grimerica podcast has been with me many late nights working on all kinds of projects. Even while all alone, I felt I was in the presence of friends listening to you two. I'm extremely, extremely thankful for you both and the journey you share with us on the podcast. These hats are from my family construction biz, One Way Construction. The One Way? 
All comes back to love. Love you both. Brandon. One way, his way only. <laughs> yeah, my way or the highway, <laughs> motherfucker. I think he said love. Uh, love's the one way. Yeah. Anyway, your hat's here. I got first pick of color, so you get the blue one. All right. A big thanks to Brandon for the hats. And, of course, he was at uh, the first CAC. He helped us connect with Soap Lake, which has turned out to be a great relationship. Yeah. Slowly transitioning into a partnership, which is fantastic. Thanks, Brandon. You gotta go there in January for a meeting. Anyway, what? Uh, all right, you want you want to do your? Uh, wop, I don't know. Wop, it's wop, up, it's wop, up to you. Wop, what do you, you want to do? It? I, uh, I think it's it's kind of appropriate. I got it all set up and researched for this oh, episode. Yeah, so. I know, yeah. Researched. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to open up some tabs, you know. Looks military to me. Definitely military. Probably classified, too. Wikipedia. Dishfire. Prism. Sentry Eagle. Sigma. Mannerkin. Artichoke. MK Ultra. Operation Project. Project Operation. So this isn't technically a project operation, but it leads to... It leads to what? But... It's about magic in the government. And have you, did you, did I, I don't think I ever did this one. I, you know, what's funny is I, I looked at it a while back and I was like, ah, this doesn't seem. You mean when you're doing all that right. research, it wasn't like, Hey, I already researched this. It, it goes into deeper rabbit holes. <laughs> so this is a resolution from congress.gov that I've been saving for years. Years. Yeah. Years. It's about UFOs. And it's now it's called HRES 642, and it's about recognizing magic as a rare and valuable art form and national treasure. Like magicians? Uh, well, I mean, that's, like that's, where, that's, what, that's what we're going to, that's the trying to answer we're going to find out here. So instead of reading all the whereas, 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 it's, uh, I'll just, you know, I'll just repeat the, the sentences that aren't. So it's talking about uh, an art form with the unique power and potential to impact the lives of all people. It enables people to experience the impossible. It's issued, it's used to inspire and bring wonder and happiness to others. It has a significant impact on other art forms, like the great forms of dance, literature, theater, film, and visual arts. It allows people to experience something that transcends the written word. Technological advances can be directly traced to the influence, influential work of magicians. Arthur C. Clarke claimed that any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. And then he says, whereas one of the greatest artists of all time, Leonardo da Vinci, was inspired by magic and co-wrote one of the very first books on magic in the 15th century. They talk about modern cinema, visual storytellers, outstanding artistic model of individual expression, fulfills the highest ideals. It's a unifying force across all cultural, religious, ethnic, and age differences in our diverse nation. And also, it transcends any barrier of race, religion, language, or culture. It requires only the capacity to dream. <laughs> So it goes on to talk about Copperfield and the, and the stage magicians. And he talks about uh, Copperfield created a uh, project magic to teach children with disabilities in the 80s. 
Did you know about that? No. Uh, it's an innovative program using magic as a form of therapy for people with physical, psychological, and social disabilities. So he's like, as a person with a disability learns the mechanics of magical illusion, they are motivated to increase physical dexterity, functional skills, and communication. Additionally, the learning of magical illusion can aid in the improvement of problem solving, the ability to work with numbers and other cognitive skills. Most people with disabilities have come to believe they're less capable than non-disabled people. Therefore, the ability to perform a simple magic allows them to do something that others cannot. It involves something that the audience does not know. The secret, the performer, can work miracles. Self-esteem and motivation are essential to the achievement of rehabilitation goals. So this, this provides this self-fulfillment and accomplishment. It's really good. I mean, it's interesting. Talks about, you know, it's obviously the, the typical illusion, card tricks and stage magic, that kind of stuff. But it did make me wonder... Um, about you know this this resolution that we talked about was from 2015 and 2016 so i don't know i just f- kind of find it weird that they went to the trouble to put this together this art transforms the ordinary into the extraordinary so then i started looking at you know is 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 um Copperfield and these guys initiated into these circles because, you know, reading the ISIS unveiled and talking about real magic, not stage magic. Copperfield and like David Blaine. Oh, yeah. David Blaine's the other one. Yeah. So I did find some somebody uh, that quoted something from Copperfield. So this person's uh, talking about white magic. And there's uh, I'll put this. It's from universalpath.org. And they're talking about shamanism and the basis of Taoism belong to white magic and mostly not worldly orientated voodoo. Uh, they talk about how white magic develops the lower esoteric bodies and forces up to the buddhic plane and controls the negative forces. They say it was originated in Egypt, but they talk about um, Franz Barden and they talk about his story a little bit, but then she gets into these other magicians and a demonstration of impossible things that are possible with occult magic is the show of David Copperfield, who is, so from my site, they're saying, a master adept and not just a stage magician. Copperfield said in the 90s openly that he, not he himself, but his ghosts do these magic effects. Of course, he is not the only master adept on stage. The main problem of magic are many occultists who do not practice introspection. The black adepts and the black masters who both abuse their forces against mankind for their personal aims. So I don't know. Maybe he's an adept. I think. I don't, yeah, I think Blaine. a lot of these guys are. Why don't you just have Blaine on the show and we'll ask him. There you go. Sure. You're the booker. Book him, Dano. Grammo. Book him, Grammo. I went and got a Christmas tree yesterday. Yeah, how'd that go? That was all right. It was a little yeah. cold. Did it smell like it. smell like pine in your house? Yeah, I chopped it. I chopped down a bigger tree with an axe and then chopped the top off. Eli uh, Coli, uh, shout out to her. Hope her and her family are feeling better. 
Um, she she was talking about they went and got a tree, and she loves the smell of fresh trees. Swinging that axe can get to be a motherfucker for sure. The cats are knocking the bulbs off the little cocksuckers. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, what my God, your cats do? are going to destroy the tree. Yeah, it's always a battle. It's kind of fun. What are you going to do? So you, would you say you had to chop it down and then chop it down further? Or? Yeah, I chopped the tree down and chopped the top off it. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I prefer to take an older, more mature tree. Looks like it's on the way out, but the top's still pretty. Oh, nice. Instead of taking a, a young one just on the way out. Yeah. You're such an environmentalist. I'm an environmentalist. That's a good word for it. <laughs> GrandAmerica.ca slash support, guys. If you can, when you can, it's more important than ever that you head over to that support page. You sign up for a monthly or you make a one-time donation or you buy the audiobooks over at adultbrain.ca, or you sign up for a plus subscription over at grammericaoutlaw.ca, or maybe you sign up through a Rockfin portal at rockfin.com slash grammerica, or maybe you do all of those things, or one of those things, or some of those things, but it's important that you do at least one of those things because it's how we keep the lights on, keep the bills paid, keep Graham fed, he's a hungry fella, and all that wonderful stuff. Um... Anything else? I think that's it. Uh, email me, sightings, synchronicities, experiences, feedback, graham from Yeah, trip reports, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like Darren's trip report on today's episode, the ketamine K-hole trip K-hole report. K-hole report. <laughs> all right, guys. Enjoy the chat. Joseph DeSoma, welcome to Gry America. We're going to chat about your uh, your book, Dematerialized. Fascinating story. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, and we can talk about whatever you want. I mean, it doesn't have to be about the book, but I know, you know, we should talk about the book. <laughs> yeah, wherever it, wherever it takes us. Um, yeah. A book and wherever it goes. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I found it a pretty fascinating story. I'm not really into true crime that much, but this was so mm-hmm. different. This wasn't, I don't think this is like your average true crime, you know, book. It was kind of like, you know, you guys stumbled upon this and and it has this real metaphysical, theosophical, spiritual aspect to it. So, yeah, I mean, maybe we could, where do you want to start? Do you want to start with how that whole thing came about or? Yeah, so... um yeah, it, it delves into um, a lot of met- metaphysical disciplines. Um, and, and what we found when we started researching the book was that that became sort of such an important element. It was like inextricable from 
Marsha Moore's story and what happened to her. So we realized we had to go uh, way back. Um, what And how we started this project was that um, my wife, Marina, she inherited some of Marsha Moore's books. So um, she inherited them from her grandmother. And, um, you know, that, then we were kind of just doing our thing as a couple, you know, starting our lives, starting a family. And um, she wanted to pursue a career in criminal justice. So um, we used to go to the library. We lived um, in Huntington Beach, California. And uh, there's this great library there. It's a really, really peaceful setting. And I go to my section, you know, I go read history and sports, you know, what have you. And she she did true crime. So she read every true crime book that was in our library. She started from A to Z. Um, and when she got down to Ann Rule, who you know is a you know famous uh, true crime author, or most people are familiar with, um, in she had read every book from Ann Rule, and all that was left for her was like these short story volumes, which were um, just shorter stories or unfinished works. And um, in one of those volumes, there was the story called "The Lost Lady" about um, the mysterious disappearance of Marsha Moore. Marsha Moore, um, her story when she vanished. Um, and there was just something about it really struck a chord um, with my wife. Um, she, at that time, she was um, she wanted to become a dispatcher, um, but there was something about this case that really, really grabbed her. It was like you know she she couldn't let it go. It just it just stayed with her. Um, so she began um, researching it little by little. Um, and originally, we were just you know she was thinking of maybe even just writing a screenplay or something like that because she lived such an interesting life and. Um, a colorful life. And then there's sort of the story, um, about her disappearance. Um, but what ended up happening was we, um, got connected with the Lieutenant who worked the case back in 1979. And we started gathering materials, um, and sources slowly, but surely. And it eventually evolved to a place where we realized that we had certain materials that nobody in the world had. And that, um, you know, we could actually piece this all together and see if there was something more to the story beyond what you would read about um, publicly uh, about Marsha Moore and the circumstances surrounding her disappearance. So that's really where it all started. So did she realize that she had inherited those same books uh, at that time when she found that true crime stuff in the library? Yeah, it just hit her like, oh, my God, these are the books that my, you know, that she grabbed from her grandmother. Um, and, um, and then she, she eventually learned about her, the final book she wrote journeys into the bright world, which was about Marsha Moore's experimentation with, um, a psychedelic drug called ketamine. Yeah. So, um, you know, that in and of itself was just, you know, if, if you know anything about the book, it's, it's really vivid and there's a lot of vivid imagery in it about experimenting with the psychedelic drug. Yeah. Um, she was taking so horse, like, she was taking horse drugs before they were cool. I know. Yeah. She was, uh, before it became all the, all the all rage, the rage. And, and the, yeah, all the rave or all the rage, whatever one you want to go with. Um, yeah. So ketamine, um, just real quick on ketamine, ketamine is an anesthetic. So in large doses, it will, it will pe- put people under for surgery. And, um, it's actually a pretty benign anesthetic because it doesn't like slow heart rate or restrict breathing. Um, you know, some anesthetics are really potent. So there's a risk of, uh, death, uh, just from the anesthesia itself, but, uh, ketamine is a much safer anesthetic. So it's actually used on children and, um, 
you know, animals and, and things like that in smaller doses, um, say less than hundred milligrams. Um, you, know, you can remain conscious, but some people experience really vivid, um, psychedelic hallucinations. Um, the reactions vary. So some people, it doesn't, doesn't quite cause as much of an effect, but, uh, for Marsha Moore, it certainly did. And her last book journeys into the bright world was her documentation, uh, experimenting with this drug. I got right up to the fucking edge of that shit once, man. I remember. Oh, yeah. I remember my buddy Paul. Shout out to Paul. I don't think he listens to this show. I don't know what he's up to these days. Maybe he does. Anyway, I was in college for welding. I failed out college for welding. I said I'd never make it as a welder. They were right. Um, No, I did all right. I did all right as a welder. I did. Anyway, my buddy... My buddy Paul picked me up, and we were heading from uh, Guelph, Ontario, to Halliburton, Ontario, which I can't, I can't remember. It must have been like a four-and-a-half-hour drive or something. But we're like halfway. And it's like, I don't know if you've ever been to southern Ontario, but you're never like really outside of the cities. You know, it's just like, for a lot of it anyway, it's like one big rural sort of area from city to city to lights to lights. It might have been Hamilton. Might have been Hamilton. We're on the outskirts of. We got the bright idea that we'll, well, he's got this ketamine. We'll we'll sniff a little ketamine, and uh, you know it'll spruce up the drive because we're out of weed. You know, if weed was legal, it could have kept me out of all sorts of trouble. Well, we're out of weed, so like, okay. So I've never done it before. I'm like, all right, let's go. And uh, I remember. Uh, we pulled into this closed sort of gas station and we, we sniffed it and we went to start driving out. I remember it was like a huge <laughs> hill and there was all these lights and, uh, we started, we're, we're driving up the hill and were you just, driving or no, he no, was? I was okay. and he was driving. And like, for some reason we both just sort of like burst out fucking like laughing into like craziness. And it was just like too much. And it's like probably like the middle of the night down in Southern Ontario on some big, like, six-lane highway, but it's, like, completely deserted, and it's just the funniest fucking shit in the world to us. Anyway, mm-hmm. we had to, like, pull off the highway into this little tuck thing where there's some little woods we can hide out in because it was the funniest thing in the world, and then it sort of, like, started to turn into not the funniest thing in the world, <laughs> into the, like, this more, like, terrifying sort of not a good time. I never did ketamine ever again the rest of my life. I, I, oh, so it, it started. Just, so it started kind of funny, but then it took a. It took a, bad, a turn. It took a turn. What, I mean, paranoid? I wasn't like, really paranoid, uh, paranoid sort of not a good time. I mean, I used did to. Did you the, have the? Um, did you have the dissociative effect of like leaving your body? I was like on the edge of it, so that was probably oh, where my uncomfort was, and it was very much at a time when I was in party mode. I was not interested in like that being a possibility. Yeah. Um, and at that time when I, whenever I was doing acid and stuff like that, you would sort of have that effect. It would have its very like funny euphoric moments, but then the introspective yeah. bits of it are bad trip because you're not yeah. like looking for that at that time. When you get older, you know how to handle that shit. You realize that's what it's all about. You sort of utilize that. But when you're fucking 18 years old, it's, that's not what I signed up for. So I <laughs> yeah. Mean, yeah. So some people have, I've heard the, I think it's called the K hole. Which is the that's very much what it felt like the K hole. Yeah, that's what he. That's what my buddy <laughs> called it. Did he? Were you just yeah. like have this experience of I didn't? Yeah, I didn't just call you something. It's just oh, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, no. That's exactly yeah. what he said. He's like, we were in the K hole, bro. <laughs> 
We made it back to his place. So, and he was doing that shit again the next night. I remember it was like people were doing their bumps. Wow. And I was just like, no, thank you. I'm but fucking. You, yeah. you know what's happening now is that it's becoming popular in like the Malibu area here in California um, where yeah, people are doing it a lot as a, um, you know, sort of a, a gentler antidepressant. So that's like, are they microdosing it kind of, or. Yeah. I don't know what the dose levels are. I just, I, I just know it's becoming, and there's even like, I think they're, they're trying to develop one of the big pharmaceutical companies is trying to develop uh, or maybe they have already something called S ketamine, which is like a nasal spray. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's ketamine. Well, it's a ketamine wrong. derivative or something. So wow, I mean, yeah, it, it is. It is. I mean, they're doing it with MDMA and psilocybin too, and and uh, all kinds yeah. of. So, I mean, it's great if if that'll help people. That's fantastic. So, what's the K hole then? How did they describe it? Like uh, an experience of falling without. Oh. Like, keep falling and you just keep going. Like, I, I guess there's some kind of phenomenon like that. Oh, I, wow. I don't know. Never. I've never. It was done very that. much a sense of like purposelessness and like we're just gonna yeah it's good is it was tragic in a way i mean it was a very tragic it's tragic a, experience it's interesting how some people get i mean because she marcia was quite uh addicted i don't know if i shouldn't use the word addicted i don't know but she seemed to do it quite a bit you know you you can people have i i think it's just the best thing to do is be clear about it. So ketamine as a drug is a schedule three, or at least it was when she was experimenting with it, a schedule three non-narcotic. So in terms of chemical dependency, it's not addictive in that way. So nothing close to heroin or anything like that. Um, so it's not that, however, you know, there's, you know, some people say that you can't, ex um, get psychologically addicted to it, but I think that applies to most things, you know, I mean, um, people say that about pot and everything else. Um, I'm so addicted to weed. <laughs> You are straight up. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm high right I, now. I, yeah. That, I did that in my younger days, but I couldn't never shake the, I could never shake the paranoia from it. I, I just couldn't, I don't know. That's how it impacted me, but I don't know. Maybe you got to do it for a lot longer than I did. Yeah. He's um, built up so, for, he's built um, up quite a tolerance. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I still get paranoid sometimes. I was at the border just on Sunday, pretty stoned, and it started going south, and I was a little paranoid for a minute. But I didn't have any Wait, drugs on me, so I had thrown just them in the be, garbage. Just to be clear, though. Uh -oh. Just to be clear, though, are we talking about the Canadian border? Or yeah. The, the well, both. Mexico? Both. No, yeah, the Canadian the side. Canadian yeah, the border, Canadian border, yeah. US, yeah. 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 I think we. Uh, yeah, I think we lost we might you. Have you're, lost you. Yeah. Okay, oh, you're back. You're back, but we lost you for a, a bit there. We're in glitch mode. Actually, yeah, we're in glitch mode right now. Hopefully, it comes back. I think it'll come back. Yeah, no more ketamine for this guy. I mean, we got a line on lab growing fucking psilocybin mushrooms. Why would we ever need anything else? It's fantastic. <laughs> Shout out to the guys while we're in our little brief intermittent here to the guys over at, uh, check out the links in the show notes. Uh, <laughs> if you're in Canada for all your psilocybin needs, teach you to grow your own. You can microdose. You could just order some shrooms, whatever you want to do. Sporeslab.io. Sporeslab.io. You can also check it out. I'm almost ready to go back. Oh, oh. Bingo, bango. We're oh, out. We're out. And that's we're out. it. Wow. You think he's going to come back? He'll be back. Yeah, he'll be back. In he'll the be meantime. back. Yeah, the spores that we should have uh, Jeff on again. 
We should. Jeff's great. Yeah. I just talked to him See, the other day. Oh, did you? How's how's everything going? I think pretty good. He's yeah. which is good because he's like in that part of BC that would be fucked. But he, I get the sense he's pretty prepared, you know. So he's with, probably, the, with the disasters. Yeah, and stuff, he's you probably mean? like fuck yeah, bring it on. That's what I mean. He didn't even mention it when I talked to him. So, um, so right. again, just to summarize here, we're talking about this book. Well, we're talking about Marsha Moore. It's the mysterious disappearance of Marsha Moore, dematerialized, and she was like a. Kind of an esoteric, theosophical author, uh, spiritualist, um, experimenting a lot with ketamine. Kind of from a rich family, actually. So quite well known, but she was on sort of TV. Like, I'm surprised she's not more well known, actually. Ooh. Than this lady that disappeared. Oh, yeah. I've never heard of her before. Yeah. She's got lots of books. She wanted to be a famous writer. She was on TV all the time. She was doing, like, doing the circuit talking and stuff. I think this was through the... I don't know if I'd want to go on psychedelic TV. Age. I know. What if they like called you up tomorrow? They're like, "Hey, Mr. Dunlop, will you come <clears> on uh, the CBC no. and interview about Grand America?" Imagine that. I'd have to turn it down. Yeah, I'd have to turn it down. What if they wanted to interview you about my book? I feel like I'd have to just turn, turn it, it down. Yeah, yeah. You can't because they're going to just hack it up and make it the way they want. They make me look alt right. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be hard. I mean, shit. You could take some of my like. There we go. You could take some of my late 2015, <laughs> early 2016 stuff and cut something right up. You need the right to be uh, forgotten. I, what? The right to be forgotten. <laughs> Delete Don't all your you stuff. Dead name me. I'll. Uh, hey I'm guys, back on the DMT hey, there, soon. There we go. Sorry guys. That's it's okay. okay. You, were, you were freezing up a little bit and then you dropped. So. Yeah, I, I hope it's not my internet provider. They've been working on our street. Oh boy, so, yeah, yeah. Sons of Sorry. bitches. That's okay. Hey, guys, no worries. So yeah. yeah, we're so Darren was just talking about yeah his paranoid paranoia over the border. Um, yeah, yeah. Anyways, yeah, we. Can, I don't we, get paranoid smoking weed. I don't give a fuck. Oh. I'm lucky that way. I got it all out of my <laughs> uh, out of my system in high school. Yeah. Oh, right. So Marsha, when Marsha was like in her ketamine fit, well, I mean, I guess it was previous to her, directly previous to her disappearance, but was this during the, like the sixties and when the whole psychedelic sort of revolution was going on or did it over, did it overlap with that time at all? Or I, I felt like it was before that, but then I was thinking maybe it was after that. It was after. So her focus in, um, for most of her life was just the whole spectrum of metaphysics covering astrology, yoga, theosophy, spiritualism, extraterrestrials. Um, she was a big fan of uh, Carl Jung, um, all of that. I mean, that was mostly was her focus. Um, in 1976 is when she first tried ketamine. Oh, it was that late. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It was that late. Yeah, it was that late. Um I think, in my opinion, you know, she had been, she had crossed paths with Timothy Leary. Um, That's came, what I, yeah. Yeah, and, and when he did his experimentation with LSD, I think it, it had an influence on her. I think that carried with her it, because he, he, you know, he generated such nationwide buzz over his experimentation with LSD. And what the thing about Marsha was she really wanted to make a name for herself, set herself apart in metaphysics. And when she tried ketamine in 1976, prior to that, she had tried a bunch of different drugs. So she tried everything from weed to morning glory seeds to LSD to mescaline. Um, none of that stuff really gave her the consciousness expansion um, 
Well, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's the internet service provider. Yeah, probably. Son of a bitch. Maybe we could... Uh, try audio only for a bit? Or try a cell phone call? or uh, Oh, yeah, that might work. Dun, 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 yeah, we dun. could do Zoom on the cell phone. Yeah. We could try that. Yeah. Do you have email? Can you email him right now? Yeah. Uh, I don't think he's coming back. I don't back. think I have his email. What? Uh, no, I think I've been going through his, um, his PR people. They didn't give you his email or nothing in case of emergency? No. What? I'll try. So um, with that with that oh, link, do we need a new link? Do I need no. to send a new link? or No. If he can get it to his phone and he can click it on his phone. If he has a Zoom app, though, right? He can't call in on that, right? He needs the Zoom app, right? He needs, uh, no, I don't think he did. He could, like, call in or something. We, no, I think he just, oh, oh he's me. back already. He's a pro. Do you think we should try shutting off the video? You think that'll help? We can try a couple things, Joseph. You can try your phone if you want to use cell data. That would be easy enough. You can either call in or if you have a Zoom, you can, if you have a Zoom app, you could do it on your phone. Or... You but you are without, muted. Yeah, you're also you're, muted. Yeah, or you could just try video off and see audio only. Um, sometimes audio only sometimes helps quite a bit. Uh, why don't I try myself? Does sure. that come in okay? You okay. Yeah. So, yeah. what number? Yeah, I don't know. I think he needs a different invite. Unless you have a Zoom, do you have a Zoom app on your phone? Oh, you meant through Zoom. Yeah, uh, yeah I used it on my phone. Um, well, or we can give you, I think Darren can pull up the phone number to, you can dial in too, right, Darren? Yes, I yeah, can. I yeah. think if we I can, just click can, on this. Yeah, we'll try and give you to, a, like message it to you right through Zoom. Yeah, here. we'll put it in the chat in Zoom here, and then you should be able to call in from that. Hopefully none of the smart asses on the live stream uh, think it's funny to... Uh, I think it's the invitation, yeah. To call the number, you motherfuckers. <laughs> Not funny. Don't call the number. I think that'll yeah, give that's you the a one. Number. Yeah, that should give you some phone numbers there too. So. Did it? Did it go through? No, there, there you, you go. go. Yeah. Oh, oh wait. Okay. Okay. So. Okay. Don't say it. Let over. me try that. Okay. All right. Yeah. Five 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 six. Just like the movies. Yeah. And then I'm not sure how we answer that. Does it just pop up as a a phone in there? I can't remember. It's been a while since we've done that. You spend most of your life in Zoom. You think you know? Not enter any numbers. Please re-enter your meeting ID followed by pound. Okay. Dun, 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 dun. You, uh, I mean, between what are you D and D in two nights a week? Uh, it depends. One, one, sometimes two. Yeah, I try to. I'm running a game. I'm trying to make. I'm trying to finish off that game. I was. Are you gonna design? Are you enjoying jujitsu with me? Maybe. We could like there we go. fight okay, each other. So yeah, we could just literally meet, fight just each meet other. Just that guy every every a couple of days a week. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there he is. Da, da, da. All right. 
Huh. There's a uh, there's a a sign in the top corner, I think, of your. It'll say to turn off the. Turn off what? Oh, it helped. It's done. Yeah, it's yeah, fixed. Yeah, there we go. Can we still hear you? Hello? You might have to unmute. Hello? Yeah, there you go. Hello? Can you hear me? Who's that? Can you hear me? I can't. Yep. Oh, perfect. We got you. You got me? Yep. Okay. All, All right. right. I don't see you guys. But that's okay. Yeah, you won't um, uh, unless you have the Zoom app on your we phone. We can't see you is, either, yeah, but we we're here. See, we actually have a nice frozen oh, okay. shot of you on the screen. So awesome. we'll, we'll just look at that and pretend you're talking there. All right, cool. Sorry about that, you guys. No, that's know. okay. No problem. No worries. We should actually have something a little, you know, a little um, ready for that if just in case it happens. But. So yeah, so let's. Where were we? We were with. Uh, we were. I think you were talking about Marsha and all her different experiences, and ketamine was yeah. the only one that gave her that sort of uh, extended consciousness, sort of feeling, or whatever. Yeah. So just to reset that real quick. So um, she first tried ketamine in nineteen seventy, April nineteen seventy six. Um, so really, her interest before that her focus before that was just the whole spectrum of metaphysics from astrology to yoga, reincarnation, spiritualism, theosophy, all of that. Um, in 1976, she tried ketamine. And I think what had influenced her, in my opinion, was that she had crossed paths with Timothy Leary at one point, And she was obviously, um, you know, greatly impacted by his influence with his experimentation with LSD and the, like nationwide buzz it caused back in the sixties. Um, when she, before she tried ketamine, she tried, uh, multiple drugs from morning, morning glory seeds to weed to mescaline. Um, and she tried LSD too. Um, but she had a very scary experience with LSD, which she documents in journeys into the bright world. When she tried ketamine, that was the one. Um, she had a very vivid experience with it from the first time she tried it. And she felt like it was the thing that was really going to expand her consciousness. Um, so she had a very vivid first trip. Um, and when she took it, you know, when, when people take ketamine, you know, there's a lot of psychedelic imagery that usually comes along with it. But for her, it was much more than that. It was much more profound than that. For her, it was a gateway. It was a gateway to other worlds. It was a gateway to past lives. Um, it was a gateway to communication with, um, supernatural entities or, or ETs. Um, you know, it was a gateway to alternate dimensions, alternate realms. So it was like, for her, it was this wonder drug. It was everything that she was looking for. And it was, it was also a way for her to do a new project that would allow her to set herself apart and make a name for herself. And that was always her, lifelong ambition her her driving goal was to make a name for herself amongst the metaphysical community with something new um and so what happened was in she tried it in 1976 in 1977 she meets a man named howard altunian and this is while she's on a lecture tour across the u.s and in canada and um he was at the time he was living in a Seattle suburb. Um, you know, so this is the area that this all takes place. He, when he met her, he fell head over heels in love with her. And, um, what happened was 
you know, they had a, had a quick courtship um, and they were married soon thereafter. And for Marsha, it was like this sign of predestiny. You know, she believed in, you know, she was a student of astrology, so she believed in, you know, the stars aligning and predestined occurrences. And um, when she met Howard, um, you know, he happened to be an anesthesiologist. She had just tried ketamine. And so to her, it was like, it was like meant to be, it was like this perfect fit. Um, so they got married shortly thereafter, and what they started doing was collaborating on a book, and that book um, became Journeys into the Bright World, which documents their experimentation with ketamine and talks a little bit about what they were doing in their lives up until that point. And that was her, was that her fourth husband? That was her fourth husband. She had been married, yeah, so she had been married three times before that, and um, one of the things the book covers, so uh, all of the new age stuff, all the metaphysics and, and the ketamine experimentation, it's all, it's all very, very interesting and colorful. And, um, you know, there's some, uh, a lot of interesting aspects to it, but it also covers her life. It's part biographical. And one of the things that it shows in the book is that she was blinded by ambition. So she, um, you know, she had three failed marriages in part because, you know, her North Star was always the occult. It was always metaphysics. It was always that study. And, and a lot of things in her life went by the wayside as she, you know, um, as she fed that obsession. And so, um, you know, she had her first marriage and she had uh, three children. But then after that, the, the second marriage was very short-lived. It was to, a, to a, um, an astrologer named Lewis Acker. And, um, and he was much younger than then Marsha, he was about almost 10 years younger. Um, then she had another marriage, which ended up being very tumultuous and very abusive. And, um, you know, she kind of got her clock clean financially. Um, and so there's all this like baggage and litter in her life as she sort of was just consumed by pursuing this career, um, in, in metaphysics. And Howard was the, was the fourth husband that she married, um, before she disappeared. So what happened was just to set the table here. Um, they wrote the book, they, pu- they finished the book and published it in the fall of 1978. And they were done with the book and, um, leading up to 1979, she was scheduled to take a trip from, um, you know, where they lived, which was Linwood, Washington, which was a suburb of Seattle. And they were going to drive down to Pasadena for a, um, a festival, that was, uh, you know, like metaphysical festival. And she was going to give a prepared speech at a conference on past life regression at that festival. And this was going to take place in January, 1979. And right before they were set to leave for that trip for that conference, literally on the eve of leaving for that conference, she disappeared in the thin air. She vanished in the thin air and there was like almost no trace of her. So, um, that that's really what happened. That's the mystery. Yeah. And the weird thing about some of that is, is it like she thought that her, her husband's in previous marriages were from past lives as well. Like she seemed to kind of keep gravitating towards that. Oh, you know, like, Hey, this is another past life thing, another past life thing. And, and the weird thing for me that with, with somebody studying so much metaphysics and, the occult and meditation and yoga. I mean, she was seriously into it. I mean, she's doing handstands on the table and in the, in the TV studio. And I mean, you know, she was teaching yoga for people, I think for free at one point. I mean, she was pretty deep into it. You think she'd have some discernment over like, 
like it seems odd to me that she would be so um <clears throat> uh her lust for fame would be so much because I mean a lot of people I know in that sort of environment that's that's the opposite of what they want, you know. Did you find that strange when you were researching at all? Yeah, I actually found it to be a cautionary tale when you think about it, because you know, I had to research all of this, um, all of these disciplines, astrology, past life regression, psychism, and all these things. And one of the things I took away from it was that there's a real risk of confirmation bias there. So, you know, you, you have to be too careful. I mean, you have to be careful. Um, you know, there's always this temptation to ascribe more weight to something than may actually be there. So to give you an example, her second marriage to Lewis Acker, she... If, if you, there's a book that was written in, in the 1960s called Yoga, Youth, and Reincarnation. And um, that was about Marsha Moore's um, yoga, you know, teaching yoga and, and integrating yoga into your life. Um, but in that book, they talk about, um, they talk about her marriage to um, Lewis, and she based that marriage predominantly on their compatible astrological yeah. charts. Well, that marriage only lasted a couple of years, you know? And then, um, you know, when she met Mark Douglas, yeah, she, she was contending that, you know, they had known each other in a past life. Same by the time she got to Howard, she actually was <laughs> saying that, you know, some, this, this out there stuff that they, um, they enjoyed a past life together in Sherwood Forest during like the Robin Hood days or, you know, when, um, you know, that whole, time in England. And, um, you know, and given the fact that he was, like I said, given the fact that he was an anesthesiologist and she had, you know, just tried ketamine, it's like, there's all these things that she would kind of grab onto say that this is meant to be, this is the next thing for me. This is a sign, you know? Um, and it, it just ended, you know, it ended up, there's all these kind of tragic twists and turns throughout her life in part because she was putting all this weight on some of those things, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, it makes me think of like reading some of theosophy books, like Blavatsky stuff, how they warn, they yeah. warn people. Like she warns people even about yoga and, and meditation and past life stuff. Like even just these basic things that nowadays we think of as just super healthy and normal like they warn them that you shouldn't be doing that unless you're kind of initiated or unless you you go through uh, this learning process, this huge learning process. So it makes me wonder, like, this is like, like you said, a cautionary tale of maybe, di you know, dipping too deep into it and wanting too much out of that or something. And I think, I think you could actually say that it's really that she went after such a breadth of metaphysics instead of a depth of it. So she right, didn't pick right, like right. one discipline and say like, I'm going to see this one through to the end, like whether it was theosophy or astrology or yoga. Um, she was like, you know, a lot of people, some people described her as a walking encyclopedia because she, she knew a little bit about everything, but there was some criticism that um, she never, um, you know, she never attained the deep profound knowledge of any one discipline that she was just trying all these different things um you know throwing things up the wall to see what would stick with the one you know to see what would allow her to make a name for herself so there was some criticism there too um yeah and in the research of you know all these different um disciplines i mean my head was spinning i mean trying to learn the distinctions between 
you know, there's theosophy and then there was like sort of Alice Bailey had built upon that, you know, before theosophy, there was spiritualism. So theosophy had sort of built on spiritualism. Um, and then you sort sort of get into, um, you know, it's everything that came after that from, you know, some of the psychologists that were adding elements to it. And then people like, uh, John Lee and, and Timothy Leary, who were then experimenting with, um, drugs and, and, and putting that in there. So, it's just there's so much to it. I mean, it really it really opened my eyes and sort of expanded my horizons as to how much there is out there to learn uh, for, for metaphysics, you know? Oh, totally. I mean, did she bump in? I mean, because there's there's people that think that Leary and Lily, uh, you know, were part part of at least connected with the CIA, maybe operatives or, uh, you know, did she come across any of that or did she? Because, I mean, especially her being, I guess, a beautiful woman. Like, was there any connections there with intelligence agencies that you know of? Cause I mean, also, also coming from a rich family, like, and they were also part of the Lucius, I think the Lucia trust yeah. back then. Right. Yeah. I hate to give you this answer, but no, no, that's <laughs> so, okay. So, so like, yeah, I mean, because people, you know, people I had talked to about it and even some of her family members, believe it or not, who did not know much about her. Um, because after she disappeared, it was sort of, uh, I want to say, how do I say this? She was, it was sort of like an embarrassment to the family, what had happened to her. And, you know, I had people asking me like, well, the Lucas trust and, you know, was there, was there Satanism involved there? And, you know, was there a CIA angle? There was, there were mafia rumors. There was like all this really cool, like, you know, great rabbit hole stuff that could have been cool. But, you know, I had to be honest, like we had letters going back all the way to the 1950s and there's not even like coded messages or anything. Um, you know, it's really, it's really pretty benign stuff. They were just into esotericism and, and all these different metaphysical disciplines and, and we're talking about theosophy and stuff. Um, so, uh, yeah, not, not so much of that. Yeah, that that's fine. I kind of thought that too because the the book seemed very genuine. It seemed like you guys had done such a thorough job. I didn't I didn't get the feeling that you're, you know, hiding anything or covering anything up, or there was any kind of. It, it actually made me think that a lot of these organizations that are getting blamed now or getting sort of slandered now started out with real good intentions, and you know, it just. It's it's easy to look back at these things and say, oh, there was some sort of satanic influence. I mean, even theosophy itself in the books, like ISIS unveiled, you know, um, I think that that gets a bad rap even. I mean, just because they, you know, they they don't think Satan is what the church thinks Satan is, for example. He's gone. Oh, we're go- he gone? He's gone? We're gone? It looks like our internet just dropped off. Wow, geez, now our internet. That's crazy. And the guy's poor. It's his first podcast. Yeah. <laughs> this is not how it always goes. We got no internet even, I don't think, right now. I'll keep uh, just talking a little bit so you don't have to edit a lot of this out. But So now we're just checking our internet. This is going to be a weird audio podcast if Darren doesn't edit it out because we've had Joseph pop back in here three times now, I think, and now we're gone. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's super interesting. Oh, he's back. Wow. Oh, looks like- Are you guys there? Yeah, we, like- I think our internet dropped out there. No. Looks like the internet is back on. Yeah, I think ours. Uh, oh, hang on. He's not. You got to admit him. Oh, again. I didn't admit him. 
Hello? I can hear you guys. Okay, now we now we got you. Yeah, that was weird. I think our internet dropped. Sorry about that. Oh man, I was on a good rant too. Um I know you were. I so, think I don't know. I think, I think what think I was maybe Howard. I no, I think ours we lost it here. <laughs> Which is so just so you know, it's not always like this. Usually it's a lot smoother for some reason. Yeah, so it's just there you go. That, that should fix it. Yeah. There's also a button that says you got to quiet down another button on the top, I think. This happened last time. For a minute. There you go. There you go. And then it just straightened itself out. No, there's a button that you click to. Microphone. What was I talking about? Ah, uh, QAnon. <laughs> <laughs> it's gone. We're good? We're yeah. good. Yeah. All right, nobody move. Yeah, exactly. So, no, I think I think where I was going with it is that, like, a lot of these organizations, um, either they get co-opted or they right, go... nobody move. Oh. We're okay, we're okay. Keep going. Can Don't you hear stop. me, Joseph? I can hear you. Okay, yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I feel like they get, you know, co-opted sometimes, or maybe sometimes they just get a bad name because of, you know, they're created by rich people trying to make more money or something, you know? But, uh, yeah, so I, I did get that feeling from your book. But <clears throat> what it makes me wonder, too, is that if she was really studying theosophy and she learned she learned about, you know, Blavatsky and, and AP Senate's uh, communication with the Brotherhood or the Brothers, let's say, um, you know, who apparently just can can talk to each other and communicate through the invisible realms. Um, she probably was trying to go there, you know, trying to get there. I mean, it's and that's why it's so fascinating that, you, you know, you called your book Dematerialized because I was just reading an ISIS unveiled. I pulled a quote and now I've lost it now for the show, but how those a lot of those adepts and the famous people in the past in our past wanted to do that they wanted to dematerialize like that was part of their goal they wanted to merge back into the one universal soul basically yeah and i you know i don't know where your research took you but when i was um doing it, it, it's like this interesting journey. You, you kind of go from the transcendentalists, uh, which had a big impact on her, too, because they were from the area of Massachusetts where she was raised. Um, and, and that sort of started this sort of inward-looking, um, you know, break from ritual and, and starting to really, um, you know, um, trying to find the answers yourself. And then you, you sort of had right after that, the spiritualist movement happened with Fox sisters and everything like that. Um, and then you had Blavatsky that came along, um, and, and she introduced, you know, more concepts with the masters and the adepts and, and, and things like that. But you're right. I mean, she gave warnings that, you know, there was that attempt to sort of pump the brakes because, you know, it's not for everyone to jump into, you know, it, it takes several sort of levels of achievement of uh, meditation and wisdom. So, yeah, it was like there was this whole movement kind of happening, and, and it's just really fascinating how she, she was sort of trying to be a part of that and infuse a lot of her writing in her, I'm talking about Marsha, um, and infuse a lot of her 
um, writings like that, but it just kind of, just kind of took a tragic turn. Yeah. And then you throw drugs into the mix too, like ketamine. And then it's just, it's a recipe for, for something. So, and, and then I was also just telling Darren when we got cut off there a little while ago that I'm surprised she wasn't more well-known like for her, she did create, she did reach quite a level of fame in her own right back then. I'm really surprised that her books aren't a little bit more popular or that there isn't just a bit more talk about her. It's almost like she, when she, she just disappeared off the face of the earth, face of the earth from culture as well, not just physically. Yeah. It's great that you brought that up because, because that's one of the reasons why we wrote the book. Like we, we we're, we're looking through this and it's not just that she studied um, you know, she studied psychism and studied astrology, yoga, and theosophy. Like she was connected to these people. Yeah. I mean, that's that's sort of an amazing part of this. She, uh, Andrew da- Jackson Davis, who is one of sort of, I guess you could say, the the sort of founding fathers of the spiritualist movement, and and really legitimized it after the Fox sisters. Um, he knew um, he knew Marcia's father's. Um, well, he knew Marcia's grandfather. Um, he actually boarded with them. Uh, for a time, um, you know, they knew the Baileys. Um, Robert Moore was a, you know, personal acquaintance with um, Alice and Foster Bailey. At one point, Marsha was writing Alice Bailey, like the corresponding uh, via via letters. And in 1972, she crosses paths with Manly P. Hall. Wow, who, you know, was a really yeah. She was, and he, I was looking into him, and he's a extremely prolific writer. I think he wrote over a hundred books or manuscripts about, uh, you know, just all, all kinds of metaphysical um, topics. Um, you know, John Lilly, in research uh, for uh, for the book for ketamine, you know, she, she goes down to Malibu and she visits with John Lilly. She had crossed paths with Timothy Leary. Um, she knew Sybil League, who was like, a you know, a famous witch in in um, Britain. You know, while she's in India, she's in India from 1955 to 1957. And she just happens to be in a village where the Dalai Lama comes passing through and she gets a personal blessing from, you know, my, my, my wife, Marina and I, we, we joke, she's like this Forrest Gump figure of the new age where she just like happens to cross paths with like all these people at these in, you know, in sort of important times and in these important moments that she's just kind of going through her life and intersecting with these people. Um, And it's just, you're right. It's, it's really interesting that she just never got to the point where she was really on the map, on the radar. You know, really the only people who know her, who know much about her, are people who have kind of come across her as they study more of the history of yoga and how it sort of started in the Northeast. And then also, obviously, the the people, I would say, she's, she's becoming more known Lately, because of what you said, psilocybin and the um, mushrooms and the experimentation with drugs like ketamine, people are sort of stumbling upon the fact that she experimented with it and wrote Journeys of the Bright World. So if not for that, it's like she would have had traversed all this, you know, all, all this stuff and, and, and blazed a trail in some areas. But nobody really knows much about her. You know? Yeah, and I mean, she had a famous brother too, and her dad was very successful. And wasn't he part of the Sheridan Hotels or something? Or what? What hotel? Yeah, chain was it? yeah. He um, he co-founded the Sheraton Hotel chain. Um, you know, so he and he was a Harvard alum, and he, you know, they they kind of came out of the Great Depression buying um, properties, and they so they gobbled up some hotel properties on the cheap. And that's what really catapulted the, the 
um, family into high society in Massachusetts. Um, they, you know, the, the properties gained a lot of value. But in addition to that, um, Robert Moore, her father, was, um, you know, a very shrewd businessman, a very successful entrepreneur. So, um, and that allowed her to devote her life to metaphysics. So she didn't really, you know, she was born into wealth by her 20s, the Sheraton um, Hotel Corporation, um, was doing fantastic and, um, they were starting to amass a lot of wealth. So she could devote her entire life to metaphysics. You know, she didn't have to worry about a nine to five. Um, and, um, you're right. Her brother, Robin Moore, you know, he wrote the French connection. Um, I don't know if you've seen that movie, but you know, that was a big hit movie back in the day. Uh, and, um, you know, so he was very well known, but she sort of, um, I don't know, even though she was desperately trying to make a name for herself, uh, for herself as an author um, and as a mystic, it just, it just never really it happened. It almost worked the opposite. It, it almost was <laughs> it completely did. the opposite. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's like you couldn't, you couldn't try and experiment and put yourself out there more without like less you know, with less bang for the buck than she yeah, got for it. Yeah, yeah, you know? exactly. So, so what about the actual, uh, cry, crime? Is it a crime? Is it, do you want to talk about that? Do you want to leave a little bit of that for the, for the book, people that want to read the book? But I mean, it was quite a mystery that was really, I don't know if it was ever really officially solved. Was it? Yeah. So, um, let, let, me, let me talk about the basic theories as to what happened. Yeah, sure, so, sure. Um, yeah, one of the theories is that um, she wandered out in the woods high on ketamine the night she disappeared. Certainly plausible. Um, they still had quite a stockpile of ketamine. In fact, the lieutenant who worked the case who I became, um, you know, I, I was, corresponded with him over the years several times trying to work on this and, and kind of unravel it. Um, at one point, they confiscated 26 full vials of ketamine from the apartment that they were living in at the time, which was a lot of ketamine. The lieutenant, his name is uh, Daryl Bemis, told me that he took enough ketamine out of that apartment to send any everybody in the United States on a trip or, you know, on a trip. <laughs> uh, at that, yeah, that's how he described it. So they had a lot of ketamine. So certainly plausible that she, you know, she took a bunch and she wandered out in the woods. However, there are some mitigating circumstances there because it when she disappeared there was a historic old front uh, uh, you know a storm system that had been moving through and lasted for several weeks um in england they called it they actually call it the winter of discontent it got so cold and so it's like a question of well how far could she have made it had she done that um, um so that's one of the theories uh, there was a theory that um you know, she was suicidal and, um, you know, her fourth husband had intimated that, you know, she was having some, she was a bit distraught and was having some sort of, um, you know, emotional issues. And so that's a theory that she, you know, left the, left the apartment and, and did herself in. Um, there's the other wild theories that she was kidnapped by a coven of witches because she had run into some self-proclaimed witches in Vancouver. And I guess there were some, you know, they had a little bad vibes or something, bad vibes or something. Yeah. So that was, yeah. So that was kind of a wild theory that happened there. Um, there was, there was some background, um, you know, suggestions that the mafia may have been involved, but there's no evidence of that. There's, um, 
There Why were, would the mafia um, have been involved? Just for the hell of it, or did they have an interest? I think it was just, just I an easy boogeyman. Really, I think there was it. It wasn't anything really concrete. I think it's the speculation just surrounded the fact that her family was like really well connected and and rich, and maybe there was some like association there with the mafia. But I never found anything that like really established any link to the mafia. The, the closest I got was that she wanted to buy a property in Ojai at one point and she really wanted it and just didn't have the financial means to do it and couldn't convince her father to bankroll it. So um, there's at one point she writes, she's speaking with someone who's there locally that she's boasting about someone she knows who has connections to the mob and was going to buy a property for her. And that person writes a letter, like, you know, warning Marcia's parents, like, oh, my gosh, she's talking to people connected to the mafia. That's really the closest I came about just finding anything connected to the mob, but I didn't see any direct connections. Um, and then, of course, so then there's the other, so then you get into, there's some stranger theories, like Howard Altunian, who was her fourth husband, suggested that she may have summoned all the medical, physical wisdom that she had attained and dematerialized. So that's one of the reasons why the book is called dematerialized because that was a theory he put forth. Um, it, it also works kind of metaphorically though, because it, it's, you know, there's the, the family prominence, the more family fortune and sort of her story kind of dematerialized. So I, we thought it was a good title for the book because it kind of worked that way. The final theory, which is one that obviously you have to explore, is was Howard Altunian, her fourth husband, involved in her disappearance? And, you know, that's just going to be a, a common place to start. You know, and anybody who, you know, uh, consumes any true crime knows that there's a very high likelihood that the spouse was involved. I mean, if you watch any of the shows out there, 48 Hours Mystery or Snapped or whatever you, you like to consume on that stuff, a lot of times it ends up being the spouse and it ends up being usually something related to money or, um, an affair. So, um, we knew we were going to have to explore that. So we did a, you know, a pretty extensive look at whether, um, he was involved and what the book does is that it, it unravels, um, the publicly held perception of, the circumstances surrounding her disappearance and her marriage to her fourth husband and the rosy picture she was painting to her parents, her, her parents. And it kind of unravels that and explores the theory that he might be involved. Now, ultimately readers are going to have to make up their own mind. Um, I think it's, I think it's, it's good to provide some details here. So Howard Altunian was never charged officially. Like he was never charged with a crime. He was, um, he took a polygraph. He passed a polygraph test. Um, and, um, there is also, there's no direct forensic evidence. So you have to keep in mind, you have to go back to that. This is 1979. It's like just before DNA, like really starts. So there's no forensic evidence. There's no, um, DNA that directly links him to any kind of murder or anything like that. Um, however, there are things in the book that show that, the state of their marriage and the sort of um, rosy picture that she was presenting to her parents um, about how her life was going before she disappeared was not all it was cracked up to be. So 
those are the theories, and we explore all of them in the book. And I think what you, if I think the the merit of the book and why it's, it's a worthwhile read is that you take it's the journey getting there. You take a long journey. You learn about her life. You learn about all of her research in the metaphysics, but you also learn the fight, uh, family dynamics, and you learn about the trials and tribulations she went through in her marriage marriages, and um, and then you can't really you can't really get the full picture, and you can't really get a meaningful picture about the tragedy that unfolded here until you walk through all of that. So. Um, yeah, we just encourage people to to read the book and, and really get a feel for all of that and go through all of the um, theories and make up their own mind. Yeah, it's, it is interesting. It's a great story. What's what's Thanks. up with her books now? I mean, what what are is there a foundation or their family have rights to their her books or anything like that? Or is there any thought about um, re, reprinting or is there any kind of interest in her work? I hope that comes, you know, I think it, I think it might, I mean, I think there's a chance that journeys in the bright world might, because, um, because like I said, of the resurgence of, of experimentation with ketamine. Um, but I hope the others do too. I, I hope this, um, book, you know, sheds a light on her story because she's such an interesting person. I mean, you know, when you think about it, you know, you have to give her credit, even though she certainly had her foibles and she made her missteps in her life, you have to give her credit for, um, abandoning what was just like a life delivered on a silver platter. You know, in fact, all of the friction that essentially comes between her and her family was them basically saying like, look, we've, we've rolled out the red carpet here. You, 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 all you have to do is walk down it. You, there's a life of affluence paved for you here. Um, there's no reason for you to, you know, go, go off the reservation or do anything, controversial or do anything dangerous or risky. And she said, no, I'm not going to do that. And she was an extremely intelligent woman, um, a free thinker, independent, bold, and um, had a real gift for writing and had, a, and, and was, and had a gift for yoga too, and had a gift for speaking. I mean, she, you know, everybody who heard her speak said that she was you know, just she had so much magnetism and, and they loved hearing her speak and, and she had a real gift for that. And so I hope the story does shine light and her other books do become more popular because she wrote, before Journeys in the Bright World, she wrote a book called Hypersentience. And um, that book is about using a hypnotic technique um, to access past lives, but she didn't even want to limit it to that. She said that you could access even future lives or just alternate planes of existence by using this technique. And in fact, she got a lot of criticism uh, amongst the metaphysical community because some in the metaphysical community, because they were saying, look, like you were saying about Blavatsky, no, it takes intense meditation and discipline and years of doing that before you can take the risk of, of accessing those realms. And she said, uh, no, I'm trying to make this something that is more accessible to the masses. Um, and it's an interesting, whether, whether you subscribe to that or not, or whether you think she was doing something that was too cavalier, it's a super interesting read. And then if you go back before that, you know, she wrote a book called diet, sex, and yoga. And, um, she was introducing yoga in a way that was like, you know, very, um, relatable. And in addition to that, like a lot of the dietary stuff, I was, I was actually fascinated right? with 
Yeah, the vegetarianism, and also she was warning about like um, uremic acid and, and and things about like eating too much meat, and 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 she was warning about that like well ahead of she was well ahead of it becoming um, you know popular in the eighties and nineties as people started to kind of pick that up and people, you know, a lot of books were being written about nutrition, whether I remember like the zone and, and then there came paleo and then like, there was, you know, there's all these different offshoots and then vegetarianism is becoming very popular, but she was like doing that way before, you know? Um, yeah. so yeah, I mean, and then she wrote a book called astrology, the divine science, which I mean, it's a huge book. We have a copy of it. It's, it's like a, a very comprehensive introduction to astrology and it was very highly regarded i mean it's a really really good book so um you know we hope it it shines more light on on all of that because she was a re remarkable woman in her own way she she had her missed up shortly um but in her own way she was very remarkable and it makes what happens to her all the more tragic um you know like when i look at certain shows because there's, there's a lot of shows now um, that, that deal with metaphysics, like whether it's like, you know, I used to watch ancient aliens, just, you know, it's just fun. It's, it's, it's really interesting and fun to have it on. Yeah. And, um, some of the people that appear on that show, like, uh, I, what's her name? Linda Moulton Howe, I yeah. think is her name. Yeah. Like when I see, whenever I see her on that show, I just think of Marsha. Like, I think she would have been on the show or she yeah. would have been, she would have been on a show like this. Totally. Um, and she would have. Yeah, and she would have been speaking about it. She would have been talking about everything from extraterrestrials to lost civilization to astrology to reincarnation. She and 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 she wasn't just it wasn't just a uh, superficial level of knowledge. She really studied this this stuff. She really knew what she was talking about. It's just so tragic that um, you know it, her life just ended so prematurely. How old was know? she when she died? Fifty. Yeah. Wow. That is, yeah, premature. I mean, and she was in the, like you said, India in the 50s, and then she died in the late 70s. So that's a pretty long journey, you know? Yeah. Yep. So how has this changed your life, uh, learning about all this? Because like you said at the beginning, like it was pretty overwhelming going through all this and researching it, and it's so deep, all these topics. Like have you had a new appreciation for the metaphysics or a, a different one or lack of appreciation? Oh man, that's a great question. <laughs> that's a great question. And, and kind of like a, that's a deep question. I, I think what happened was I was raised Catholic. Um, I'm sort of, you know, I, I consider myself Christian. I'm, I, I guess I'm sort of a recovering Catholic, but, um, <laughs> I was going to say it, yeah. but I didn't want to assume, but yeah, we hear that quite a well, bit. That's, that's okay. It's, it's, it's fine. I mean, I love, I love Christianity. I, I really do. I think the way I would describe it, I kind of feel like what I did was it's like you left home to go backpacking through Europe or something. And, you know, you have this amazing adventure and it broadens your horizon. And you see all these new things you've never seen before and all these concepts and philosophies and belief systems. And then you're sort of, you had an amazing time. It changed your life, everything you saw. And then you kind of came back home and it made you like appreciate or just feel like I'm back home. You know what I mean? Um, that's not to say that, like, I don't, you know, I, I would never begrudge anybody from exploring all these different belief systems and, and, and things like that. I mean, I think, I think you should, and I don't think you should really, you know, tell young people, you know, not, not to dabble in those things because if you, the more taboo you make it, the more they're going to want to do it anyway. Yeah. Good so, point. um, yeah, but, I, but I think what I was amazed with, I, I guess what I would say is 
kind of rambling here, but when I explored all these different, one of the things I learned was that there, there is a lot of commonalities to them. Like when I looked at Hinduism, Buddhism, Christianity, there's, there's, there's commonalities across that. Theosophy, I thought, um, it's, you know, it's interesting. And I think there's some really good intention there. Theosophy I thought was a little bit more, it was a little bit more esoteric and, and like not quite as it didn't quite resonate as much with, with me, but I thought it was an interesting exploration. Um, and I think, did you ever read, there's a book out there, um, called a hundred years of theosophy and the author is joy Mills. Do you ever read that book? No. Oh, okay. So it, basically it just talks about the history of the theosophy. But one of the things I found that was like really interesting and kind of, um, funny in a way was in the, even in the beginnings of theosophy, there was infighting there. Like there was a, a man named William Judge, who was one of the early um, theosophists who rose to prominence in the American section of the Theosophical Society. And there was a rift between him and um, Annie Besson and, um, and Alcott, and excuse me, Henry Steel Alcott. There was a rift there because they were accusing him of getting messages from the masters that were fraudulent. <laughs> and I, yeah, I was reading this and I just thought to myself, it made, it almost made me feel better about just some of the, you know, like Christianity, some of the more traditional disciplines, because you realize that like infighting and tribalism, it, it's, it's in everything. It's, it's in any kind of religion, belief system, or what have you. It gave me like a different perspective of that. So it certainly broadened my horizons and all that. Um, and I, I think it's all really fascinating, interesting, um, and I, do, I feel like I barely stressed the surface of it. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, but, but at the end, I think I just kind of came around to okay, like I felt almost better about my own kind of beliefs and things like that. So, what about Marina? What would she say? Do you think to that question? Oh, <laughs> I don't know. Something, something, something pretty similar. I would think. Yeah. Um, you know, so she, I think she would sort of feel, feel the same way. Um, but you know, I wouldn't want to, I get in trouble speak, trying to speak for her. <laughs> <laughs> what about future plans? Future plans. That, what about future plans? Uh, now that this is, this book is out and stuff or, you know, that's a good question. I don't know what, uh, we're going to do from here. I mean, people ask me, you know, are you, are you going to, continue to write. I would love to continue writing. I, I love writing. I didn't even mind, you know, as you guys know, um, cause you've authored books, the rounds that you go through with editing and, and reshaping and revamping and restructuring and, and, um, you know, all of that and everything that goes into making a book, I didn't even mind it, even though, you know, at times it was tedious and hair pulling. Um, I would love to write. I just don't know. I, I certainly will say, I don't know if I would ever do something like this again. And I'll <laughs> yeah. tell you why it, it yeah, it, it, it took a toll on me writing about real people's lives. Um, because you're trying to do your best to be fair and even handed. And also there's this thing where you get to know these people. So it becomes really hard. So let me give you an example. Um, John Moore, who is Marsha's brother. Um, he, he's the one who was really kind of communicating with, um, you know, he's the one kind of in, involved in the investigation after her disappearance. 
Well, I met him, we met him, Rena and I went to have lunch with him once at the Concord Inn in, in Concord, Massachusetts. It couldn't have been more pleasant. Nicest guy, really cordial and nice. But then I, when I start going through the materials, I see, and this is in the book, um, he had had a rift with um, a kind of a fallout with Marsha in the, in the sort of the year preceding her disappearance. And what ended up happening was there is right at the beginning of the investigation, he's telling the lieutenant, Lieutenant Errol Bemis, that, oh, I think she was probably out of her mind, whacked out on ketamine. And it's like right at the start of the investigation, I was just like, when I read that, I just couldn't believe he did that. Because I'm thinking about it like, if it was my own sister, and I don't know anything about the circumstances of her disappearance, why would you offer that right off the bat? It just seemed like it was a big mistake that ended up feeding the narrative right off the bat that it was related to ketamine or it was related to the fact that she was this spaced out ketamine junkie, which was sort of this perception out there that the press ran with. Um, and so it was hard to then write that, you know, that was kind of like not a great thing that John did there. And then in addition to that, there's Lieutenant Bemis. So Lieutenant Bemis, you know, he helped me out a lot in the beginning of this. Um, I flew up to Washington in 2010 and that's where a lot of it, where we started gathering a lot of the materials and he would call me and, and I, we, you know, we'd exchange phone calls and, and, you know, he helped me out a lot. And in the book, one of the things that you'll see is like, how did this tragedy happen? You can see very early on, it gets extremely distracted with the occult. So you've got, you know, astrologers calling in and writing into the sheriff's office saying, I know what happened to Marsha. You know, I, I had the psychic vision of this. And you have astrologers and, and Howard's also feeding this. I mean, he's stoking this fire constantly. And Lieutenant Bemis gets a little bit enticed by that whole thing. And what happens in the book is that it gets a little bit side, the investigation itself gets a little bit sidetracked and, and, and things are missed and things are overlooked. And, and he, he comes extremely close on a couple of occasions to some, some revelations about what happened to Marsha, but just doesn't quite get there because of the distraction of all the occult stuff. And it was hard to write that after he had helped me so much really kickstart the story, you know? So, um, that took a toll. And then you're writing about the family and, um, for example, Marsha's uh, brother, Bill Moore, there's like a quick paragraph about him in the, in the book. And it basically just says that, you know, he was overlooked by the family and, um, you know, he, he, you know, he had some money problems and, and stuff like that. But, you know, as you know, as writers, you have constraints placed on you. You have word count constraints and you, and you, you have to try and encapsulate these people's lives and to do it in a paragraph is, is really hard to do that. I mean, Marcia's brother, Bill Moore was, he was a member of Mensa. He was a brilliant man and he was a loving father. So, you know, you're, you're trying to, you're trying to write about these people, but you, it's very hard because you realize that, you know, you, it's, it's extremely hard to encapsulate someone's life in a paragraph or a couple paragraphs, or even with all the room that we were given to explore, Marsha's life and flesh out Marsha's life. Yeah, that's uh, a good point. Sorry, yeah. No, that's a yeah. good point. I mean, I think it comes across well in the book that you like I like I think I mentioned that like even about talking about the organizations and the family, like it never comes across as uh accusatory or fake or you know, uh what's the word I'm looking for when you kind of blow something up like um proper like, like uh, 
fallacious or something. Yeah. Or like, yeah. Like, yeah. Or trying to yeah, over, yeah. over, 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 uh, exaggerate something or whatever. No, it doesn't, it doesn't like, it comes across very genuine and authentic. So. Oh, that's great feedback. I really appreciate that. And and the book itself, and that's why, you know, we encourage um, people to, to really read it. It's very quote heavy. And, and we did that purposely. We did that because we wanted to, we wanted the, these char- these people in this involved in this story to speak for themselves. We, and, and they, they almost like, we kind of feel like, if we did anything, you know, right in the book, it was that it sort of allows you to step back into 1979 and know these people and hear them in their own pattern of speaking yeah. and kind of get to know who they are. Yeah. Um, and that took a tremendous amount of work because, you know, as you might imagine, you have to get rights to use all these quotations and do all this stuff. So that was a tremendous amount of work, but we really wanted to do that. We really wanted to. Um, and the other thing is I, I don't really like one of the things I don't, I, I kind of object to in my own reading and in my own content consumption, whether it's reading or whether it's just, you know, watching documentaries or other things. I don't like when people are too heavy handed with the, this is, these are all the conclusions you should definitely draw. And this is how you should feel. We want people to read the book and, and draw their own conclusions and feel their own way. They feel about the story. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it would make a good movie, honestly. I kind of picture it in my head, like her going through all this stuff and all these things and all uh, the different marriages it. and the they'd drugs and the, I mean, it would have to be an indie movie. Yeah, I mean, it would it would be a cool story. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, there's there's a lot to work with visually, right? Because you can do. I mean, imagine you you can show scenes where she's doing past life. Regret. I mean, it's, it's unusual oh, and yeah. interesting things that people just don't, don't see in the day to day, like actually seeing somebody do a past life regression session. That yeah. You have <laughs> yeah. The, the yoga whole- in India, <laughs> the, the family conflicts and the, yeah. I mean, it, it could just be fantastic. Yeah. Fantastical. Yeah. And then imagine what you could do. Imagine what you could do with the ketamine scene. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. You could show the K hole. You could take some <laughs> yeah, shit from like uh, fear and loathing. <laughs> yeah. Right yeah, on. Totally. Yeah, you, thanks for being. Uh, we're proud to be your uh, your first. Take your podcast, Jerry. We're sorry it had to be such a like uh, weird, awkward thing where we had all the disconnections and and all that. But I mean, you took it like a champ, like an old pro. Thank you guys so much. I'm so sorry about the disruptions. I don't know what happened there, but um, I appreciate you guys hanging with it and, and reconnecting and stuff and, and uh, let me speak about the book and about Marshall Moore's story. Yeah. No um, really appreciate that. No worries. So what, how can uh, people get the book and get a hold of you? So they can find the book. It's called Dematerialize the Mysterious Disappearance of Marsha Moore. And Marsha is spelled M-A-R-C-I-A um, for people who are listening. And Moore is M-O-O-R. And um, you can find the book at Barnes and Nobles and Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, Target, and Walmart. Pretty, you know, most places where books are sold. Um, and you know, th- there's a lot of great picks in the books too. So it's um, it's just great. I mean, y- you really get a um, a great feel for um, her family and a lot of the the stuff that was going on in the in the New Age stuff. So great picks in the book too. You can follow us on Instagram on at. Marsha Moore story, just all together. Marsha Moore story, and uh, yeah, that's pr- that's pretty much it for now. You can follow us there or buy the book, and and we really appreciate any of the support. I mean, as first time authors, 
um, well, you guys know how it is. I mean, just trying to get your voice out there or get your, get your book out there to be seen in a sea of people out there is really hard. Yeah, no doubt. Well, we'll do our best and we'll put it in the show notes. And yeah, I, I really like the story and congratulations. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. And it was great talking with you guys. I had a lot of fun. Yeah, good. Good stuff. Totally, Thanks, man. Yeah. You have a great night. Okay, you too. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh, it was great for me because we got to hear Darren's K-hole story. Oh, uh, yeah, that might have been the first time. Hey, big thanks, Joseph, for coming on the show. Big thanks to you guys for listening. And, uh, you know, so I, I don't think the the interruption should have been too bad for you guys. We kept you going. We got the K-hole story and uh, whatever else along the way. I mean, we we we, we do our best. But uh, big thanks to you guys for listening. Big thanks to Joseph for coming on the show. Uh, proud to be his first show. I uh, wish it would have went a little smoother for him. Hopefully that doesn't discourage him from doing other podcasts. But it worked great on the phone. You know what I noticed? The phone audio was great. Yeah, there was a bit of a delay still, but yeah, it's, it's better. Yeah. yeah. There's a bunch of food. Uh, yeah, it's just the audiobooks. I mean, we could talk about check audiobooks. Check out the audiobooks. Yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of these theosophical books out there now. Occult World just came out. What, Graham, when this comes Graham out, Graham is probably the theosophical narrator of our time. I was actually looking at some Audible Hall of Famers today, and I was like, Graham's going to be there one oh, day. Shut up. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think that's like 27 or 28 books out now. That's crazy. The Occult World, Seven Principles of Man, What the Ancient Wisdom Expects oh, of Its that, Disciples. That's Manly P. Hall the there, dude. Problems it's a with short, Philosophy. It's a short, like, 50-page, I don't know how long it ended up being, Isis the Manly P. Hall one, one, but, yeah. They're about two hours each. Isis yeah. Unveiled, Volume 1, All the Secret Doctrines, Secret Teachings of All Agents, Hamlet's Mill. I mean, they just keep going. Adultbrain.ca if you want to check out that whole list. We'd appreciate it if you could. And uh, Yeah, that helps us out big time. If you buy that and, and buy one of those from Audible and or wherever. And Even if you don't have Audible, give us a review. Try yeah. it out for free, and I think we still get paid. I don't know if we do, actually, but we'll see. And uh, give us a review. If you've read the book. Let us know what you think. Of course, you can head over to... Go to AmericaOutlaw.ca. If you're not sick of us from this show, you can listen to more of us over there where we go for two hours over there. Of course, to get the second hour, you have to be a Grand America Outlawed uh, Plus member for six bucks a month. Head over to GrandAmericaOutlaw.ca today. Check out that action. And uh, is that it? Oh, support the show, please. GrandAmerica.ca slash support. Uh, you know, 2020, 2021, tough years. With all the COVID bullshit, hopefully everyone's starting to get back to work now in some capacity. Maybe uh, some monthlies get reinstated, or maybe you're in a new job. You can uh, start one of your own if you haven't had one yet. But, uh, I mean, huge thanks to the people who kept us going through COVID. Without them, the show might have not made it. But uh, No, and we couldn't be doing this. Like could've... I couldn't be doing this like as my job either. No. So, so America.ca slash support. If you're getting a little value from the show, if you think it's worth something to you, Head over to grimerica.ca slash support today and let us know what it's worth. You decide. We love you guys. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next week. I hear my soulmates whistling like a tea kettle Playing that seductive game Running through the meadow Amongst the flower petals 
amongst the flower petals. She likes to swing on the swing set, singing 90s hit songs. psychedelic in the summer man it was a bummer when the leaves turn black when the leaves turn black when the leaves turn black I tried to reach you but my limbs were broken but my limbs were broken how do you unfold your music have you got a up to an auto-tuner Like a light at the end of a tunnel I hear my soulmate whistling like a tea kettle Playing that seductive game Running through the meadow Amongst the flower petals Amongst the flower petals she likes to swing on the swing set, singing 90s hit songs, n-n-n-n-90s hit songs. How do you unfold your music? Have you got a computer synced up to an Up to end.